You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are a lot of exciting things going on at Collective as the new year begins, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now here's Sunday's message. One of the questions I've gotten the most over the last few years is, so what do you do here? And by that, people mean, like, what is my job? And I enjoy the surprise looks when I say, well, I don't have a job here. I am a volunteer. I am one of 150 that Danielle just mentioned in our host spot. And our staff would be quick to tell you, this place doesn't exist without our volunteers But I would also tell you that we don't exist without our staff. So last week, Pastor Michael started off by bragging about you to you. And this week, I didn't tell the staff I was doing this, but I want to start off by showing them some love. This newly expanded space is amazing. If you're a new guest here today, this just opened up this month, our new space that we have. It's going to allow us to introduce more people to Jesus, get them to heaven with us one day as well. However, it doesn't come without a lot of long hours and a lot of grind, which was and still is being done by your church staff. When we were all home with our families the day after Christmas, the grind started here at 6 a.m. on December 26th and hasn't stopped since. And we don't see the long hours and the strain that it puts on our staff and their families. But to our staff, I want to say thank you to all seven of you. Thank you for what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for your service, for your time. We are better because of the seven of you. And for all of us, if you're joining us, we're right in the middle of this 35 series, which requires us to do an act of service every single day. So if you haven't done an act of service for your staff yet, there's no time like the present. Let's make it happen. We've talked about this before in the past as well, helping out in a way that actually helps. So ask them, What do you need? What do you want? How can I help? And as we transition, normally I would start off with some type of a story, but we're going to mix it up today. I'm going to introduce a Bible verse to you, and I want everyone in this room to memorize this verse this week. It's a personal favorite of mine. My wife, I affectionately call her my love swerve. She knows it. Our girls know it. It has changed our family. It is foundational to our outlook on life. And this isn't hyperbole. I know this is a big statement. I'm not just pumping up the message for today. I do truly believe with all of my heart that this verse can change your life forever. 14 words can change your life. So here we go. Above all else. Let's just stop right there for just a minute. Everybody repeat after me. Above all else. Woo! Forced participation, everybody's favorite thing, but that's how this verse starts. And if you think about that for just a minute, the single most important thing above all else that you do. And it's really easy to assume that this would come directly from Jesus, but that's actually not the case. It was written by a man known for his exceptional wisdom, and that wisdom was a gift from God himself. He united the nation of Israel, and the book of 1 Kings tells us Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all of the kings on the earth. 
He had it all. He had money. He had women. He had fame, notoriety. Even back in those days, a queen traveled 1,200 miles just to meet him and hear his wisdom. That's like leaving today and walking to Omaha, Nebraska to go meet your favorite celebrity. He was the guy, and he starts out Proverbs 4.23 with those three words, above all else. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And I'm so passionate about this verse, I've memorized it in a couple of different versions of the Bible. So if I say it a little bit differently than what you see up here on screen, it's just because I know it in a few different ways. I love the fact that this verse is proactive and not reactive. It's intentional. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life. For everything that you do flows from it, for it determines the course of your life. And that verse is going to lay the foundation for the story that we're going to look at today in the Bible. And if you are in this room right now, I think that I can agree that you, on some level, are curious about the Bible and want to know more. Maybe you're newly baptized and you want to grow in your faith. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years or decades and you want to continue to grow. Maybe for some of us, life is really hard right now and every day is a struggle and you're just looking for something, anything to hold on to. But you being here tells me that even if you are skeptical or have doubts, you're curious about the Bible, you want to know more about who this Jesus person is. And that's not new. People have been curious about Jesus ever since Jesus walked the earth. The biggest message that he ever gave, think the first century version of this, is something that is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in anyone's rise to fame, there is a time period where the people are buzzing and they can't get enough. And you already know what this looks like. Some of you are torn. You're like, I love Tay-Tay, but I love my Ravens. What am I supposed to do? And as a culture, we're like officially obsessed. Everything she does creates a buzz. She's flying over our heads right now, perhaps. Maybe she stayed in Baltimore. Did she stay in Baltimore last night? I don't know. Over under that I have on the TV broadcast cutting to her today is six. What do you got, the over or the under? Some of you just realized that she is in town today and you got super interested in this Ravens game all of a sudden. But just like her, Jesus is having a similar rise to fame in his time as well. The book of Matthew, right before the Sermon on the Mount, tells us he's traveling about the region, he's preaching, and he's healing. Any kind of sickness or ailment that the people have, Jesus heals all of them and large crowds follow him wherever he went. His rise to fame, whether he wanted it or not, was real, and the people were buzzing, and they couldn't get enough. And so with that backdrop, Jesus gets to work on what is the Sermon on the Mount. It covers a wide range of topics, anger, adultery, divorce, revenge, and your enemies, giving, and your money, anxiety, worry, and so much more. If you've never read Matthew 5, 6, or 7, or it's been a really long time since you have, you should check out Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And he ends the sermon with a few verses of warning that we're going to look at today. 
And what we read today is why it is so important for all of us to read the Bible and to put into practice what it says. But before we read those verses, there's a major cultural difference between then and now that we need to understand. Back in those days, the home was everything. It's so much more than what we think of it here in America. The house structure itself was much different. Houses were not built for privacy. They were built for community. Many of life's activities happen outdoor, cooking, cleaning, laundry, and courtyard spaces that were communal for many families together. Several generations also lived together. Your kids didn't grow up and move away. When you had a son, when he got married, you just built on an extra room in your house and your son stayed with you. If you had a daughter who got married, she moved in with her in-laws permanently forever. I know we got some newly marries in here. How would you feel about living with your in-laws in a house built for community, not for privacy? Also, COVID has changed things for us in the way that we work. A lot of us are able to work from home now as a result, but back then that was natural and it's what everybody did. No matter what your trade was, a portion of your house was dedicated as work from home space. So the house represents the entirety of a person's life. It is career, income, family, relationships. It is everything. And with that, let's read Matthew 7, 24 through 27 together. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods and wind come and beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. We have a lot to unpack here, but I want to begin by highlighting Jesus is saying this is a wise or foolish mentality, not a good versus evil mentality. Wisdom is to be thoughtful or enlightened, and to be foolish is to show a lack of sense or caution. Both of those are mentalities that lead to lifestyles of wisdom or foolishness. However, as we continue today, if you realize that you are the foolish person, Jesus is not saying that you are evil. He is saying that you may lack sense, which will lead to a collapse in your life. Jesus begins with anyone who listens to my teaching. And 2,000 years later, where are his teachings? They're in the Bible. So very simply, the first part of these verses are how much you read, engage, and interact with your Bible. If you've been doing this 35-day challenge with us, think before these days started on a daily or a weekly basis, how much did you read or interact with the Bible? And I think it's important to pause here for just a second and ask, What is your mentality when you read? A list of rules? A boring textbook? If you're taking notes today, you need to write this down. You need to read relationally. If I approach this as a boring textbook or some list of rules, it's absolutely going to affect how I read it and my perceived relevance for this book in my life. 
That's not what this is about. This is a relationship. And each of our three kids have been given a Bible by the collective kids team. It's a really great way to introduce them to Jesus and to read the Bible together. And I love how this kid's Bible introduces the character of Jesus. Every story whispers his name. And it isn't a book of rules or heroes. The Bible, the Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a faraway country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. One author puts it like this, you will find God exactly as you expect to find him. And what this means is, if you're reading the Bible with the attitude that this is a list of rules or some archaic book, that's exactly how you're going to find God. But if you read it as somebody who loves and cherishes you, that he will go to great lengths just to bring you home, it changes the way you read. The words matter, not some fairy tale Disney story, but a real God and a real person who loves you above all. And when this happens, the Bible and my relationship with God change. And in the verses that we're reading today, Jesus is not looking to punish me. Jesus wants what is best for me. Jesus knows that life is hard. He wants to meet me in that hardship to make sure that my life doesn't collapse. Jesus is my protector out of his love for me. And going back to the story today that we just read, those four verses, they will give you two certainties in life. Number one, we are all building our house on something. Remember, in those days, the house was the entirety of everything in your life. Your life has a foundation. Money, success, other people's approval, desire to be praised, achievement, proving your dad wrong and that thing that he said about you, your spouse, your kids, your jobs, drugs, alcohol, something, your life has a foundation. What are you building your life on? What drives you? Your foundation is your basis or groundwork for everything. And if you are a Christian, it's really easy to think like, well, no, duh, like I'm a Christian. My foundation is Jesus. Let's move on. But as somebody who's been a Christian for a really long time, I can think back of my life with Jesus and realize that my foundation was built on what the latest girl thought about me. I was a little bit of a player back in the days. I didn't want a relationship with her. I just wanted to know that she wanted me. The negative opinions that people had about me that ran my life. Searching so hard for God's call for my career that my relationship with God became about the chase rather than an actual relationship. So if you are a Christian in the room right now, don't brush past this. It's especially important for you to ask yourself right now, is Jesus the foundation of your life? And if you haven't made that decision yet, that is okay. Making Jesus the foundation of your life is the best decision that you can make for your life because he becomes the basis for everything. And if that is something that you want to know more about, check the baptism box on your connection card. Our staff will follow up with you this week and have a conversation about what that looks like. 
I made that decision July 10th, 1994, and I would love for 2024 to be your year that you build your foundation on Jesus because your life has a foundation. Truth number two comes out in the verses uh, that your foundation will be tested. The verses in our story call this rain coming in torrents, floodwaters rising, and wind beating against the house. Today, we would call that the divorce, the one you experienced as a child or yours as an adult. Job loss, medical scare, or diagnosis. If you were with us last month when I was up here, I, I talked about our daughter and her journey with seizures and the follow-up, their journey that has been afterwards, and, and we know that is a hardship in our life. And I read the prayer requests every week, and I realize one thing a lot of you have in a, that is a hardship in life is raising teenagers and young adults and watching them navigate the hardships of life. Now, our oldest is seven years old, so we're just beginning to dip into the conversations and those big things of life, which really just means I need some help because I don't know what I'm doing. So she comes home from school the other day, you know, just chilling, walks in the door, pantry, dad, can I get a snack? And then she's like, hey, mommy, what's the F word? And the room stops. And the F word is the exact F word that you think we are talking about right now. Here's somebody at school say it, sees the reaction of other kids, and she's like, oh, no, something happened. And she wants to know. Like, I'm not going to say what it is. I just want to know what it is. And I'm like, dude, yesterday we just talked about TikTok, and now we're talking about the F word. And you're seven. This is crazy. But we had a bunch of Proverbs 4.23 conversations about both of those two things. And it is a small window into the next forever of our lives. In a very small way, I understand your prayer request about your kids and what they face. Storms will come. This is a part of life. Not because Jesus is punishing us. Remember, Jesus is our protector in the midst of those storms, but storms are unavoidable hardships in life. And as we're looking into the story, you may have read it, you may have even thought this, like, who builds their house on sand? Like, that is ridiculous. Like, I am Mr. Not Fix It, and even I know that's a terrible idea, like, cool, Jesus. Thanks for the tip, but we're a little bit smarter than you guys were 2,000 years ago, so thanks. But I think I got this. Well, (laughs) do we? But I mean, like, seriously, who sets out to do this and build their house on sand? And this picture is what I picture when I read this story. I mean, if given the choice, I'm not going to waste a million dollars or pick a house that's a little bit further inland. That's not really obvious choice. But in order for the story to really hit home, you have to understand where it takes place. Jesus is speaking right next to a body of water called the Sea of Galilee. A quick Google search will give you way too many articles about drought and the Sea of Galilee and the people that Jesus was talking to knew this. 
In the long, hot summer, the water would retreat, and what was left behind was a bedrock of sand, sand baking in the hot summer sun day after day, and Jesus' crowd knew that sand would turn as hard as rock. It looks like rock. It feels like rock. Jesus is saying the fool is someone who builds their life on this fool's rock. This isn't a story about building your house, running your, your fingers through some cool sand on the beach. It's not a story about building your life on that. It is a story about building your life on a facade that looks great but has no foundation. This doesn't insult people's intelligence because in the long, hot summer heat, both foundations look the exact same. When there is no storm, both houses seem fine. I'm great. Thank you very much, Jesus. I got this. My foundation is secure. I'm just as good as that dude over there. If I skip church, it's fine. If I drink too much, I can get away with it. If I flirt with that person outside of my marriage, not a big deal. Going to that party, who cares? That person who's not Proverbs 4.23 for me in my life, if I keep them around, what's the big deal? I am fine. And seemingly, you are. You convince yourself you are. And for a while, that's true. Because when it's sunny and 75 outside, you're fine. But a storm is guaranteed and a storm is coming. Storms aren't God's fault. Storms don't reveal that God is angry at us, but storms do reveal our foundation. Storms reveal our foundation. Some storms happen to us because that's just life, but we also can't shy away from the hard truth, and this might hurt for some of us in the room. Some storms are happening in your life because you're making really foolish decisions. How are you acting like a fool? Remember, this is not a story about good versus evil. Jesus is not saying that you are an evil person, but he may be saying you are a fool and you're making foolish decisions. Intentionally choosing to do something outside of what God wants for your life is a choice. And choices have consequences, and sometimes those consequences turn into storms because of the decisions and the choices we make. It is foolish to bring storms into your life. In order to stop doing this, we need to relinquish control. We talked about reading relationally. The next step as you read the Bible is to relinquish control. And as I say prayers for my kids, seven, five, and two, I say prayers for them something like, God, protect them. Will you please keep them safe? And since I'm the one saying these, like, I get the sentiment behind it, but what I'm really asking God to do is I'm saying, God, will you please control my kids' lives for what I think is best for them? And it's an easy mindset to fall into. But as we read the Bible, we need to give up control. Jesus' goal is not to make you happy. The Bible's main purpose is not to give you a safe, easy life. If that was the case, there would be no storms. Jesus' goal, the Bible's goal, is to help you suffer well and stay standing in the midst of those unavoidable hardships that come. And then once you have done that, the last step is to respond and repeat and keep going. 
And if you're doing 35 with us right now, you have a natural plan for this. That's great. We all have built-in accountability right now. So speaking of, let's just draw back from the story here for just a minute. 35, you knew it was coming at some point. How are you doing? There are four of us that are doing great. The rest of us are on the struggle bus. That is not good. Not good. If you started on day one with us, you are now over halfway to the finish line. I am not. I'm behind you. Now, before I show you this picture, Pastor Michael is not here, but if he was here, he would make fun of me because I'm not on the app. I know, I'm not on the app. I don't want another app on my phone, I don't. Listen, my take, if you have so many apps on your phone that they take up more than your home screen, you got too many. You can disagree with me and that's fine. My love sort of disagrees with me. I cannot find anything on her phone because there's so much on it. More apps equals more time equals more distraction equals less present. That's just how I see it. So I don't want another app on my phone. So 35, sorry, but you got to go. I'm kicking it back to the 90s, and I'm doing mine on paper. Yes, I'm so proud that you are supportive of that decision. So the red mark that you see up there, that's when I failed. I woke up on day three and realized I didn't pray yesterday. No, that can't be right. Surely I prayed at some point in the day, but I didn't pray, not one single time. And I woke up on day three and I realized that and I think I muttered something like, I hate this stupid 35 day plan. (laughs) And I started over. But I've started a rhythm, and hopefully you are joining us in that to make this a daily part of your life, specifically for today, reading the Bible every day. And the great thing about 35 is it gives us all that natural kick in the butt that we need to keep sticking to our new habits. But what are you going to do on day 36? One day, it may not seem like it right now. But one day you're going to be finished and your commitment is going to be over. And I believe you. I believe you when you say, I want to keep this going. It's been great. My life is better. I'm going to stick to these new habits. I'm motivated. Cool. Good for you. Don't rely on your desire. Motivation is fleeting and any results tied to motivation are fleeting as well. Dreams and ambition without a system in place are foolish. At nine o'clock at night, When I haven't worked out yet, do you think that I feel motivated to work out? No, I feel motivated to eat Oreos, but I gotta work out instead. (laughs) If my desire is rooted in motivation, I know that I am going to fail. And 35 is a temporary system right now, and that's great, but you need to find a new system when 35 is over. I've heard a lot of people talk, and my life is better. I don't need that thing on my phone, this thing that I've cut out. It's great. I want to keep this going, and that's great. Want to is great, but want to is not will. Find a new system that keeps you reading the Bible. However, simply reading is not enough. Read the Bible and respond to what it says. Our verses are very clear on this. Reading the Bible is not enough. Jesus says in verse 24, we have to listen to his teaching and follow it. You can sit here every Sunday, read the Bible regularly, 
and still be a fool. This is a both and from Jesus. Simply taking it in is not enough. And we tell our girls all the time, just because somebody goes to church does not mean that they are Proverbs 4.23 in your life. We need to respond and repeat. Respond and repeat. I can read all I want to about healthy food, but if I don't get the Oreos out of the house and replace them with vegetables, I am not a healthy eater. Respond and repeat. And when we do this, we're building our foundation on a solid rock, not fool's rock. A solid foundation is proactive, not reactive. A solid foundation is intentional, and a solid foundation takes time. Do not quit if your life magically does not get better this week. A foundation takes time. And remember, this is not just about behavioral change. It's about the heart change that follows the behavior. That's why we're doing 35, to make behavioral changes that lead to heart changes that make us closer to the heart of Jesus. And when that happens, our response is action-oriented. There are about a dozen of you who signed up for the Money Matters class that my love swerve and I teach. And this past week, we took a really deep dive all over the Bible about giving and tithing and what God says about our money. And we challenged our class with the truth of the Bible that somebody who loves Jesus is directed to trust God with their money by giving 10% of that income back to the local church. That is biblical truth. The gut check comes for those 12 and us if we follow through and our action is to begin giving that 10%. We need to respond in faith to what we read. And the deciding factor of your life falling apart or you weathering the storm is if you read the Bible and do what it says. As we begin to wrap up today, I, of course, want to go back to Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. Everything that you do flows from it. You guard your heart by filling your heart with the truth of the Bible. And there's a really ironic twist to the guy Solomon who wrote Proverbs 4.23. His birth story is crazy. His dad saw his mom naked taking a bath. Dad is a man of power, knows that mom is married to somebody else, so uses his power to have a one-night stand with mom and gets her pregnant and then proceeds to kill the husband and take mom as his wife. Solomon knows more than anybody how life can be changed by guarding or not guarding your heart. That is how his story begins. And even though he was gifted with wisdom, and even though he wrote Proverbs 4.23, he didn't follow his own advice. First Kings tells us that he loved many women and married women who God told him specifically not to because God knew that they would turn his heart away from the one true God. And that is exactly what happened. Solomon married them anyways. And as he grew old, his many wives turned his heart towards false gods. I can't help but think that as he was thinking about his life, those words that he wrote, he looked back on his own life as a cautionary tale of what not to do. Though the rain, the floods, and the winds come, the house built on a solid foundation will stand. Jesus is your protector. 
The deciding factor of your life falling apart or weathering the storm is if you read the Bible and do what it says. Above all else, guard your heart. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that we get to be here. Even though there's this guy named Solomon who has so much wisdom, he's still relatable. Makes mistakes like we make mistakes. Does not do what you want for his life. And I personally feel like I am right there with him. But we thank you for those words in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. God, I pray that we commit that to memory this week and forever, and we can continue to live that in our lives. It's in your son's name. Amen.